October 8, 1976, Knoxville, Tennessee. 16-year-old Trenny Gibson leaves on a high school field trip alongside nearly 40 students and travels to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. The students spend the day hiking on a trail throughout the park, but after Trenny is last seen turning off the trail at around 3 p.m., she vanishes without explanation. During a search of the park, dogs would track Trenny's scent to a spot next to the road, creating speculation that she was abducted, but no trace of Trenny is ever found. After that, the trail went cold. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of The Trail Went Cold. I'm your host Robin Warder and today we're going to be examining a missing persons case from the Great Smoky Mountains, the 1976 disappearance of Trenny Gibson. This is a special request from a listener named Laura who runs a blog devoted to Trenny at CanadianGirl77.com. Laura has personally spoken to the victim's family and many of Trenny's former classmates so she has an extensive knowledge of this case. Since I don't think it's ever been featured on a podcast before, I thought it would be an ideal time to cover it on the trail went cold. The Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which rests on the Tennessee and North Carolina border, is the most visited national park in the United States, and a number of unsolved disappearances have taken place there. For this reason, you'll often see Trenny's story lumped together with the 1969 disappearance of six-year-old Dennis Martin, which was covered on an episode of True Crime Garage a few months ago, and the 1981 disappearance of 58-year-old Thelma Pauline Melton. There are a number of different theories about what happened in these stories. Some people believe these victims simply got lost and died of exposure in the park, but God help us, there are others who attempt to link these disappearances to the supernatural, and think the most logical explanation is that they were all abducted by Bigfoot. In actuality, the circumstances of each of these cases are quite different, and the reason we're putting the spotlight on Trenny Gibson in this particular episode is because there is a genuine chance she may have become the victim of foul play. Anyway, be sure to hang around until the end of the show, because I've got a special announcement about our final episode of the year. But before we get started, just a quick reminder that The Trail Went Cold is a weekly podcast, which is currently available for download on several platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and Spotify. So if you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it, and please leave us a rating or review on any of those sites to help spread the word. The Trail Went Cold is on Patreon, so if you would like to learn how to support the show, please visit our page at patreon.com slash thetrailwentcold. For as little as $1 a month, you can garner access to exclusive rewards, which may include stickers and thank you cards, early access to episodes, and bonus content. So with all that out of the way, let us now explore the unsolved disappearance of Trenny Gibson.
Our story begins in Tennessee in 1976, and our central figure is 16-year-old Trenny Lynn Gibson. Trenny lives in Knoxville with her parents, Hope and Robert Gibson Sr., has three siblings, and is a junior at Bearden High School. At around 9 a.m. on October 8th, Trenny would leave the school on a field trip with around 38 other students to travel to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, located over 50 miles away. The trip was organized by the school's horticulture teacher, Wayne Dunlap, and believe it or not, he did not inform the students where they were going and kept the destination a surprise from them until after they boarded the school bus. And other than the bus driver, Dunlap would be the only adult chaperone for the students. When the bus arrived, it parked in the lot near Klingman's Dome, the highest mountain in the Smokies. The plan was for the students to spend the day hiking 1.8 miles along the Forney Ridge Trail where they would observe the trees and plants before arriving at Andrews Bald Mountain. At the start of the trail, the students separated into small groups in order to begin the hike and they arrived at Andrews Bald at around 1.30 p.m. During the bus ride, Trenny had sat in the same seat with Robert Simpson, a student who was one year older than her and a friend of her brother's. Trenny and Robert spent the first part of the hike walking alongside each other and ate lunch together once they made it to Andrew's Bald. Since the weather was chilly and Trenny did not bring a coat along with her, she asked to borrow Robert's brown plaid jacket for the hike back. Trenny and Robert did not walk the trail together as Robert apparently became separated from her when he went off to track a bear. Over the course of the next hour or so, Trenny would hike along three other students but Trenny and one of her classmates, Bobby Coghill, wound up moving faster than them, so they both walked on ahead and joined up with two other students. At around 3 p.m., the students were just over a half mile from the parking lot, walking alongside a moderately steep trail with sharp drop-offs and dense undergrowth on both sides. Bobby and the other two students wanted to stop for a quick rest, but Trenny decided to keep going. As they stopped, they remembered seeing Trenny walking alone in the distance before she bent down and took a right turn off the trail. The group turned their heads when another student walked up towards them, but when they turned in the opposite direction again, they could no longer see Trenny, and she would never be heard from again. The spot where Trenny took a right turn did not lead onto another trail, and only led to an area filled with overgrown trees and thick underbrush. It's possible that her classmates initially believed that Trenny had gone deep into the woods to answer the call of nature and would meet them at the bus later on. It's worth noting that there were other groups of students walking in front of her at this time, but she never caught up to them. When the students finally arrived in the parking lot about 40 minutes later, Trenny was not there, and no one seemed to know what happened to her after she turned off the trail. Wayne Dunlap and another student performed a quick search of the Forney Ridge Trail but could not find her, so he soon got on his CB radio and called the National Park Service. At 4.30, a park ranger arrived and performed his own search of the trail. When he failed to find Trenny, he made an official report, and a search party of around 19 people would be formed in order to search the park. While Dunlap remained behind to help with the search effort, the rest of the students returned to Knoxville on the school bus, and apparently... The gossip among them was that Trenny had run off with someone. The bus did not arrive back at Bearden High School until 8 p.m., and shortly thereafter, Trenny's family were notified about her disappearance. Her parents would travel to the park and stay at a nearby motel, 
while the search for their daughter took place. By the time nightfall hit, heavy rains were falling, there was strong wind, and the temperature had dropped into the low 30s. The following day, a full-scale search effort involving hundreds of people was launched inside the park. The road between the Klingman's Dome parking area and the Newfound Gap Road was closed so that outsiders could not interfere with the search. When the weather finally improved that afternoon, the Tennessee National Guard was able to perform an air search with helicopters, though it was hard to see anything through the trees. Unfortunately, Trini could not be found, and numerous theories started to circulate about what happened to her. Since the afternoon of October the 8th had been foggy, one theory was that Trenny had simply wandered off and gotten lost. Because of the thick fog, it would have been very easy for her to have become disoriented after stepping off the trail. However, the search effort did uncover some intriguing clues to suggest Trenny may have left the park. A few ferns were discovered to be broken next to the Forney Ridge Trail, and this was believed to be the approximate spot where Trenny turned off into the woods. A partially opened can of beer and three cigarette butts would be found nearby. The other students from the field trip were questioned, but none of them would admit to having brought beer along with them. When Trenny's parents arrived at the park, they brought along clothing she had recently worn so that search dogs would have a sample of her scent to track. Multiple search dogs, some of which were owned by Trenny's uncles, would pick up her scent at a spot where Forney Ridge Trail intersected with the Appalachian Trail. All these dogs had the same result, as they followed the scent to the base of the 45-foot-high Klingman's Dome observation tower. Trenny's scent was then tracked through the woods for over a mile and a half until it arrived at a paved road near the Newfound Gap mountain pass. The scent trail subsequently ended at a spot by the road located about 1.6 miles from the parking area where the school bus had been. Shortly thereafter, eight cigarette butts would be discovered on the ground near this location, and they were the same brand as the three cigarette butts found in the woods. This created a number of puzzling questions, as Trenny was not known to smoke, so there was speculation that someone else may have been involved in her disappearance. In fact, some people wondered if Trenny disappeared voluntarily and had someone waiting in the park for her to give her a ride out of the area. However, Trenny's parents did not believe she would have run away on her own, and there was a lot to support this. For starters, Trenny did not even know she was traveling to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park that day until after she boarded the bus, which would have made it difficult to orchestrate her own disappearance. Trenny also did not have anything on her at the time. When her mother dropped her off at school that morning, Trenny left her purse behind in the car. She also left behind $200 in cash in her bedroom and $1,000 in her bank account, as well as some antibiotics she was taking for a puncture wound she had recently received on her foot. In addition, Trenny's older brother, Robert Jr., whom she was close to, had recently returned home on leave from the Navy, and she was looking forward to spending time with him. After four days of searching, the chief ranger announced that he was almost certain Trenny was no longer in the park. Due to the possibility of a kidnapping, the Park Service contacted the FBI to oversee the investigation. Since the weather had been foggy on the afternoon Trenny went missing, it was not impossible for Trenny to have been abducted without anybody seeing anything. The FBI believed that the most likely spot for an abduction would have been the point where Forney Ridge Trail met the Appalachian Trail, which happened to be where the tracking dogs first picked up Trenny's scent. 
Since her scent was tracked to the base of the Klingman's Dome observation tower, the abductor could have kept Trenny hidden there until the rest of her classmates left the area. Afterward, they could have forcibly taken Trenny through the woods to the road and put her inside a vehicle and drove out of the area at the approximate location where her scent came to an end. Another possible theory was that Trenny wasn't abducted from the park, but got lost in the fog and eventually made her own way to the road. It was here that she crossed paths with a motorist who subsequently abducted her. Right from the outset, the Gibson family had a potential suspect in mind. Several months earlier, a fellow student named Kelvin Bowman had developed a fixation on Trenny and wanted to date her. One night, things escalated to the point where Kelvin and a friend started prowling around outside the Gibson home. When Hope Gibson heard a noise, she grabbed her gun and fired off a shot which wounded Kelvin's foot. In spite of this injury, Kelvin still made an attempt to break into the house. Kelvin wound up being arrested and was sentenced to two years in a correctional facility, but reportedly threatened to kill Trenny once she was released. While Kelvin only served six months and was back attending Bearden High School at the time Trenny vanished, and he apparently tried to make her life miserable while he was there. Some students would claim that they thought they saw Kelvin's car following the bus while it drove to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. However, Wayne Dunlap insisted that there were no vehicles following the bus that morning, and on the surface, Kelvin did seem to have a solid alibi as the high school principal verified that he was attending classes the entire day. Whatever the case, Kelvin was never officially implicated in Trenny's disappearance, but in 1978, he would return to prison after he was arrested for raping a woman inside her apartment and was subsequently convicted of third-degree criminal sexual conduct. But there would soon be suspicion directed towards Robert Simpson. Like I mentioned earlier, Robert was a friend of Trenny's brother, and even though he was a year older than her, they did hang out together, mainly because Robert had a car and could drive Trenny places. Even though Robert had an interest in Trenny, it did not seem like she felt the same way towards him. But Trenny and Robert shared a seat on the bus ride to the park, and they walked in the same group when the students hiked the trail to Andrews Bald. According to Robert, Trenny seemed to be in a good mood that day. He said that when they sat down to eat lunch together, Trenny gave him half her sandwich, and he let her borrow his jacket. Robert wanted to hang out at Andrews Bald for a little while, but Trenny preferred to head back, so they separated, and Robert went off to track a bear. He then hiked the trail back on his own and did not realize Trenny was missing until after he reached the bus. After Trenny's disappearance, some students approached her father to tell him that Trenny's comb had been seen inside Robert's car. Her mother had bought her the comb and she always carried it with her in the right hip pocket of her jeans. Trenny's brother also spotted the comb on Robert's dashboard and it apparently had Robert's hair in it which probably would have revolted Trenny. If that wasn't enough, a female sophomore at the school was seen wearing jewelry which was believed to belong to Trenny. Robert would claim that before the hike, Trenny had given the jewelry to another student to hold for her, but since she always took extra special care of her jewelry, her family found that very unlikely. It's also worth noting that when the Gibsons were out of town assisting with the search effort, Robert visited their residence on two occasions and spoke with Trenny's younger sister, Tina. He directed suspicion towards Calvin Bowman and said that if Calvin had Trenny, he would kill her. Robert also made some odd remarks about how Trenny may have run off with some quote-unquote 
horny hitchhiker. In spite of this, however, it does not look like investigators ever considered Robert to be a serious suspect. Anyway, the park was searched throughout the rest of October, but unfortunately, no trace of Trenny could be found. The following spring, Trenny's father organized another extensive search effort involving 230 people, but it also came up empty. By that point, the winter weather may have destroyed potential clues. Anyway, here's an interesting piece of trivia for Unsolved Mysteries fans. One of the earliest episodes of the show featured a segment about Joe Shepard, a resident of Teleco Plains, Tennessee, who became a wanted fugitive in 1978 after being charged with the murders of two teenage girls. Given that Teleco Plains was a couple hours away from the park, Hope Gibson actually called investigators to inquire about whether Shepard might have also been responsible for Trenny's disappearance, but I don't think any tangible link could be found. Given the circumstances of how Trenny went missing on a school field trip, the Gibson family eventually filed lawsuits against Wayne Dunlap, the school superintendent, and the Knoxville Board of Education for negligence, but the suits would all be dismissed. The ordeal took a major toll on the family, as Robert Sr. and Hope divorced by the mid-1980s, and Trenny's brother, Robert Jr., would pass away in 2000 at the age of 42. While Trenny's disappearance has attained some notoriety because it took place in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, there have been no major developments in a long time, and she continues to remain missing after four decades. So I guess you could say, the trail went cold. of a milestone for The Trail Went Cold, as it's our 100th feature-length episode. Technically, it's not our 100th episode overall, since we've done 32 minisodes, but I guess it's only appropriate that we're commemorating this milestone with a case in which someone went missing on a hiking trail, so this time, the trail went cold in a literal sense. Anyway, I mentioned in the intro that Trenny Gibson's case is often lumped together with the unsolved disappearances of Dennis Martin and Thelma Pauline Melton because they all happen to take place in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. There's actually another person who has gone missing there in recent years, as 24-year-old Derek Luking vanished in March of 2012 after abandoning his vehicle near the park with a note inside which read, Don't follow me. I'm sure these cases are all categorized together to make the Great Smoky Mountains National Park look like this ominous place where people will mysteriously vanish without a trace. You may have heard of the Missing 411 series of books from David Politis, which chronicles unsolved disappearances that have taken place in national parks and attempts to come up with supernatural-themed explanations for why they happened. Trenny's case and the other Smoky Mountain disappearances have been analyzed in Missing 411, and if you search online, you'll find outlandish speculation about how Bigfoot was responsible. But let's put this entire situation into perspective. Lots of people have gone missing in Great Smoky Mountains National Park, but the vast majority of them have been found, either dead or alive. It's officially been a national park for 84 years, it's over 800 square miles, and it currently draws an average of 11 million visitors per year. When you take all that into consideration, it's really not that out of the ordinary 
that four or five people would have gone missing there and never been found. Before I delve further into Trenny's case, I should also mention that the park found itself at the center of another major criminal case only six months before she went missing. In March of 1976, 39-year-old U.S. Foreign Service officer William Bradford Bishop brutally murdered his wife, mother, and three sons at their home in Bethesda, Maryland. Bishop subsequently fled the state, buried and set fire to his family's bodies in a remote wooded area in North Carolina, and then abandoned his station wagon at the Elkmont Campground in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Of course, a massive search was performed for Bishop inside the park, but they failed to locate him. While there have been a few reported sightings of Bishop in Europe over the years, some people have wondered if he might have gone into the park to commit suicide, and his remains have never been found. Whatever the case, Bishop remains a wanted fugitive to this day, so yeah, 1976 was a pretty big year for unsolved cold cases in the Smokies. Now to be honest, whenever I hear about a missing persons case involving someone who disappeared in a wilderness area, my first thought is always that they simply got lost, died of exposure, and the remains were never found. I've covered a few cases on the podcast where someone went missing under these circumstances, and a major search effort failed to find them. But then, years after the fact, someone just happened to come across the victim's skeletal remains in the same area where they went missing from. They likely died shortly after they vanished, but even the best search efforts can overlook remains under those circumstances, especially if animals happen to find them first, and spread them all over the place. So that was my initial impression of what might have happened to the victims in the Smoky Mountains disappearances, including Trenny. She was last seen leaving the trail and walking into the woods at a spot where there was no turnoff, so it would have been very easy for her to get separated from the rest of the group and become lost, especially when you consider that it was foggy at the time and heavy rain and strong winds soon hit the area. As extensive as the search efforts were for Trenny, I can totally see how they might have missed her if she perished out there. I might have mocked the idea of Trenny crossing paths with Bigfoot, but there are bears out there in that park. I'm not so sure if Trenny was attacked by a bear, as no evidence was ever found to support this. But if Trenny died of exposure, and a bear came across her body, then it probably would have made short work of her and scattered her remains, making them much more difficult to find. But on the other hand, the ranger who helped lead the initial search effort stated that he did not believe Trenny was still in the park, and gave off the impression that even if she had succumbed to the elements, they would have been able to find something. But unlike some other unsolved disappearances which have taken place in the wilderness, I do think there are enough odd pieces of evidence to suggest Trenny might not simply have died of exposure. But before we explain that further, I have to talk about the school field trip, as there are many aspects about it which cause one to shake their head, especially when viewed from today's perspective. To me, the most mind-blowing thing is that the teacher, Wayne Dunlap, apparently organized this trip without even telling the students where they were going beforehand. Can you imagine if something like that happened today? I mean, maybe things were a lot different in Tennessee back in 1976, but I was a child who went to school in the 80s and 90s, and as far back as I can remember, we always had to get our parents to sign permission slips for field trips. This particular trip involved taking nearly 40 students to a national park over 50 miles away, where they would hike nearly 2 miles in each direction in less than ideal weather. Wouldn't you want to give your students fair warning 
so that they'd be appropriately dressed and prepared for this? I know that Trenny was so unprepared that she didn't even bring a coat, which is probably why she decided to borrow Robert Simpson's jacket halfway through the hike. And it's particularly insane that Dunlap was the only adult chaperone for all these students, even though they were walking through the wilderness where all sorts of things could potentially go wrong. On all the school field trips I went on, there were always multiple teachers or parents to act as chaperones. It doesn't sound like Dunlap was anywhere near Trenny at the time she stepped off the trail and went missing, and if there were more adults to keep an eye on all the students, this might have been prevented. I'm not surprised that Trenny's parents filed multiple lawsuits against Dunlap and the school, but even though they were dismissed, I have a feeling there would be a much different outcome if this type of negligence occurred today. All that being said, the fact that no one had advanced knowledge about the destination for this field trip makes the circumstances of Trenny's disappearance all the more baffling. At the outset, it seems like the prevalent gossip among the other students on the trip was that Trenny had run off with someone. In fact, one of her former classmates was interviewed for a news story about the case just last year, and she expressed her belief that Trenny may have planned her own disappearance and had someone waiting for her at the park as her quote-unquote way out. But I just don't see how this theory makes any sense. Putting aside the fact that Trenny did not seem to have any personal issues with her family which would compel her to run away, she left virtually everything important behind, including quite a bit of money and the antibiotics for her recent foot injury. Even if by some small chance Trenny did want to run away, I just don't know how she could have pre-planned everything so that someone was waiting for her at the park. Remember, she did not know the destination until after she boarded the bus, and this was long before the days of cell phones, so I don't see how she could have communicated with anyone to meet her there. However, let's suppose that Trenny did know they would be traveling to the park. It was a great distance away from Knoxville, and she had never been there before, so she wouldn't have known anything about the park's layout. It's not like she could just look that stuff up on Google back then. So I don't see how she could coordinate things in order to just quietly slip away from the rest of the group and meet up with someone who would drive her out of the area undetected. And furthermore, if Trenny wanted to disappear, why would she spend several hours hiking the entire length of Forney Ridge Trail to Andrews Bald and not take off until the hike back when they were fairly close to reaching the parking lot? Why not just slip away much earlier? I just have a hard time understanding why the runaway theory was even entertained at all, and why former classmates are still pushing it to this day. But to the credit of the investigators, they did not latch onto this theory, even though it was a lot more common for police to write off missing teenagers as runaways during the 1970s. It sounds like the search efforts for Trenny inside the park were as thorough as possible. Anyway, it's now time to explore the theory that Trenny was a victim of foul play, and we'll follow the timeline of events to determine how likely this is. Once again, the story goes that none of the students knew the exact destination of the field trip until after they boarded the bus, so if someone outside the group was targeting Trenny, there really is no way anyone should have known she would be at the park unless they followed her the entire distance. There seems to be a discrepancy here, as some of the students claim the bus was being followed, while Wayne Dunlap insisted this wasn't true, but we'll delve into that in a moment. It sounds like the hike to Andrews Bald was uneventful, but Trenny got ahead of the student she was walking with during the hike back to the parking lot. The official story is that when these other students sat down for a rest, 
They saw Trenny bend down and make a right turn off the trail, but the next time they looked in that direction, Trenny was gone, and no one ever saw her again. There really doesn't seem to be any logical reason for Trenny to leave the trail at that particular point. It sounds like the others might have initially thought that Trenny was looking for a private spot in the woods to go to the bathroom, but that's only just speculation, and we don't know for sure if it's true. Since Trenny bent down before she left the trail, the alternate explanation is that she may have seen or heard something which prompted her to head in that direction. I know that the searchers found a partially open can of beer and three cigarette butts in close proximity to that spot. It's possible those items have no relation at all to this case and were left there at another time, but perhaps Trenny saw someone smoking and drinking in the woods which compelled her to head in that direction. None of the other students admitted to bringing any beer with them to the park, but given the circumstances, I doubt they would have said so if they did. Even if they didn't know where they were going, I can totally believe someone might have been tempted to sneak beer along on a field trip which only had one adult chaperone. But if the beer and cigarettes did not belong to any of the students, could they have belonged to someone else Trenny crossed paths with? Given that eight more cigarette butts of the same brand were found by the roadside, it's tempting to think that Trenny met someone who was smoking in the woods and subsequently abducted her. But what are the odds that some random predator would be hanging out in the woods near the trail and manage to successfully abduct a teenage girl with nearly 40 other students around? However, one cannot ignore the fact that multiple search dogs did track Trenny's scent to the roadside. If Trenny did manage to make it to the road, then at the very least, this would rule out the possibility of her dying of exposure inside the park. On the basis of the scent trail, the prevalent abduction theory seems to be that someone held Trenny captive at the Klingman's Dome observation tower until the rest of the students made it to the parking lot and then they forcefully led Trenny through the woods to the road before abducting her from the area inside a vehicle. Now the observation tower is usually a popular spot for visitors, so under normal circumstances, it would probably be difficult to hide Trenny there without being seen. However, because the weather was chilly and foggy, I'm getting the impression that other than the students, there weren't that many visitors in that section of the park that afternoon, so concealing Trenny might not have been impossible. And at the time, there was also a room in the tower base used for storage, which could have been an ideal hiding place. Of course, the second theory to account for Trenny's scent trail is that she got lost, made it to the road on her own, and just happened to cross paths with someone there who did her harm. On the surface, it does seem a bit more plausible that Trenny could have been abducted after flagging down a random motorist, rather than her being abducted and taken through the woods for over a mile by a random predator who just happened to be hanging out in the middle of the park on a cold, wet day. I know that eight cigarette butts were found near the spot where Trenny's scent trail came to an end, but I'm not sure if this lends credence to an abduction theory. After all, if you're in the middle of abducting someone, are you just going to stop by the road to smoke eight cigarettes? Even though they match the brand of the cigarette butts found near the trail, it's possible that they're completely unconnected to the case. Now, we have two people in Trenny's personal life who have been looked at as potential suspects in her disappearance. The first one is Kelvin Bowman, who was shot in the foot while breaking into Trenny's home on a previous occasion, and threatened to kill her after he was released from jail. It's very odd that we have conflicting accounts from Wayne Dunlap and the other students about Kelvin following the school bus that morning. And of course, the principal was insistent 
that Calvin was at school attending classes the entire day, which, if true, gives Calvin an airtight alibi. Incidentally, doesn't it strike anyone as a little messed up that after going to jail for breaking into Trenny's house and threatening to kill her, Calvin would even be allowed to attend the same high school as Trenny? However, if Calvin was involved, the alternate explanation is that the school did a very sloppy job at taking attendance, and he really did follow the bus to the park that morning. After all, given the potential liability issues, it would be in the school's best interest to push forward the idea that the student who previously threatened Trenny's life was there on the day she went missing, even if they couldn't accurately verify that was true. Since Calvin shouldn't have had advanced knowledge of where the field trip was going, I personally do wonder if he would have been capable of following the school bus for over 50 miles and covertly hiding in the woods for several hours without being seen before he was able to abduct Trenny after she left the trail. It sounds like a pretty intricate plan for a high school student, but then again, if Calvin was there, then I'm sure he'd go out of his way to hide since he had a history with Trenny and she would have been terrified to see him in the woods. Now the second potential suspect, Robert Simpson, we know he was actually present on the field trip when Trenny went missing. While Trenny and Robert were friends, if he had romantic feelings for her, which were not reciprocated, this would have created a potential motive for him to harm her. It does seem weird that they would spend the first part of the trip hanging out together, and Robert's official reason for them becoming separated before the hike back was that he went off to track a bear. That doesn't quite sound believable to me, so I do have to wonder if Trenny wanted to stay as far ahead of him as possible for other reasons. The other red flag with Robert are his visits to Trenny's sister. Him putting forward the idea of Calvin Bowen being responsible for Trenny's disappearance isn't too unusual, considering their past history, but his remark about Trenny possibly running off with a quote-unquote horny hitchhiker is very odd, mostly because it sounds like he specifically used the phrase ran off with rather than abducted by. If Robert had some involvement, you could interpret this as him pointing the finger at alternate scenarios in order to deflect suspicion off himself. The most potentially damning piece of evidence against Robert are the claims that Trenny's comb was seen inside his car. Since it sounds like Trenny never went anywhere without the comb, there really is no logical reason for her to hand it over to Robert. We also have the alleged sighting of Trenny's jewelry being worn by another female student, and Robert was the one who stepped in to provide an explanation for how she got it. Incidentally, this other girl was apparently asked by a family friend to return the jewelry to the Gibsons, but this never happened. While it sounds like investigators never considered Robert to be a serious suspect, it's unclear just how thoroughly they looked into him. You'd like to think that finding Trenny's personal items in the possession of other students after she disappeared would be a bigger red flag. The biggest unanswered question for me has always been Robert's whereabouts between the time he became separated from Trenny at Andrews Bald and when the students arrived back in the parking lot and left on the school bus. If there were other students who could verify walking alongside Robert for the entire hike back on Forney Ridge Trail, then that would seemingly rule him out as being responsible for what happened to Trenny. However, I mentioned in the intro that Laura, who runs the blog dedicated to Trenny, has interviewed several of her former classmates, and it doesn't sound like any of them have been able to account for Robert's whereabouts after the group left Andrews Bald. There were also rumors that the reason Trenny was walking so fast on the trail is that something happened with Robert 
which made her want to keep her distance from him until she reached the safety of the school bus. This would explain why Trenny decided to keep going after the group she was walking with stopped for a rest. Since we're talking about a hike involving nearly 40 students and one adult chaperone, there's no way Wayne Dunlap could have kept an eye on everyone, so there certainly would have been ample opportunity for students to have gone off and done things which he wasn't aware of. I could see a scenario where Trenny and Robert left the trail together and things escalated to the point where he killed her, concealed her body, and then managed to rejoin the group before anyone noticed anything was amiss. Now, only about 30 to 40 minutes passed between when Trenny disappeared and the group arrived back in the parking area, which isn't a lot of time to cover one's tracks. But one prevalent theory which has spread is that Robert and Calvin Bowman may have been in cahoots together, and while Robert had involvement or knowledge about what happened to Trenny, it was Calvin who abducted her from the park before the search party was launched. So I gotta say, this case really baffles me. I know there are a lot of rumors and hearsay about what happened to Trenny, but nothing conclusive. Part of me just wants to go with Occam's razor and say she simply got lost and succumbed to the elements, but I have a feeling there's more to this story. The fact that Trenny's scentless track to the base of the Klingman's Dome observation tower and all the way to the roadside does make me lean towards her making it out of the park. Since her remains have never been found, I do think an abduction is a possibility, and if she was killed that day, her body was taken to a place outside the main search area. If other students were involved, then a lot of luck had to go their way, as the poor organization of the field trip and the lousy weather made it easier for them to get away with it undetected. One question I have is whether the beer can and cigarette butts which were found were preserved as evidence. Back in 1976, no one would have been thinking of DNA evidence, but if by chance, those items are still around today and could be tested for DNA, then it would be interesting to see where the results might lead. Of course, we don't know for sure if the person who smoked the cigarettes and drank the beer harmed Trenny, but if the DNA were to match someone in the system with a criminal record, then that would be a very interesting lead. If in fact, Trenny did just get lost and died of exposure, then her remains might be impossible to recover after all this time. But if she was a victim of foul play, then it would be nice to get some answers and some closure. When Trenny Gibson disappeared, she was 5'3", 115 pounds, and had brown hair and green eyes. Her clothing included a blue blouse, a blue and white striped sweater, a brown plaid heavy jacket which belonged to Robert Simpson, blue jeans, blue Adidas shoes, and a diamond and star sapphire ring. So if you happen to have any information about this case, please contact the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation at 615-744-4000. That's 615-744-4000. Anyway, another special thanks to Laura for suggesting this case, and to learn more information about Trenny's disappearance, feel free to visit our blog at CanadianGirl77.com. That's Canadian girl spelled G-U-R-L 77.com. So here's the special announcement I was referring to during the intro. Our last episode of the year is scheduled to run on Wednesday, December 26th, and since that's the day after Christmas, I thought I'd do something a little different from the norm and close off 2018 with a special Q&A episode. I've seen a number of other podcast release episodes like this, and I'd say it's about time for The Trail Went Cold to do one as well. So if you have a question about myself or the podcast 
that you'd like me to answer on the episode, feel free to email it to me under the subject line Trail When Cold Q&A to robin.warder at icloud.com. That's robin.warder at icloud.com, and the subject line is Trail When Cold Q&A. Another reminder that The Trail Went Cold is on Patreon, so please visit patreon.com slash thetrailwentcold to learn how you can support our podcast and become eligible for some pretty neat rewards. We've already released some exclusive bonus episodes for our patrons in tiers 2 and 3, and this month, our bonus episode covers another famous unsolved mystery story, this one involving the death of Kay Hall, a case which ended with her husband being convicted of her murder and being released from prison after entering an Alford plea. So to learn more information, feel free to visit our Patreon page. I'd also like to send special shout-outs to our most recent listeners who have signed up with us on Patreon this week, and they are Amanda W., Scott H., Annie F., Laura R., and Sherman H. Thank you all so much for your support. But before we bring this episode to a close, I'd like to play a promo for a terrific new podcast called Mile Marker 181. Have a listen. Murder or a freak accident? A cover-up or just rumor? On November 19, 2011, after a night out with friends, 20-year-old Jalea Davis was struck by her own car and found lying in the passing lane of I-77. Her car? Found three-tenths of a mile north of her body. Her clothes? Found lying over the guardrail. Her friends? The granddaughter of the former sheriff and the son of a former police officer. The rumors? Running wild. My name is Emily, and this all took place in my hometown. So, I started digging. Mile Marker 181 is an investigative journey through the details surrounding the suspicious death of Jalea Davis, which was ultimately ruled an accident by the local sheriff's department. Each episode, I go over the case documents, compare timelines and alibis, analyze phone records, speak with Julia's family, and sometimes even uncover new information. You can listen to Mile Marker 181 anywhere you get your podcast. Listen to the facts and then decide for yourself. Accident or murder? I also just wanted to give another shout-out to my supporters at the Unsolved Mysteries message board at the Sitcoms Online Forum and the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit. I need to provide a big thanks to Miguel Foote, who edits and assembles this podcast together for me, and Vince Nitro, who composes the eerie music you hear on every episode. If you haven't already, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. So we'll see you again next week, and to close this episode out, Here's Laura to read a happy birthday message she wrote for Trenny on her blog earlier this year. As Abraham Lincoln stated, And in the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. August 17, 2018 marked the occasion of Trenny's 58th birthday. In 2018, we have witnessed the resolution of many cold cases, among them the murders of April Tinsley, Ashley Freeman, and Laura Bible the capture of the Golden State Killer, and we are now aware of the identities of Marcia King, who was known as the Buckskin Girl, and Lyle Stevick. May 2018 be the year that the case of Trenny Lynn Gibson be solved as well. 
Happy birthday, Trenny. You have not been forgotten or lost to the passage of time.